Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church to make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. In Jesus' name we declare it. Everybody said, Amen, Amen. Praise Him. And you guys may have a seat. How many of you guys are ready for the youth conference this coming weekend? You guys ready to get your praise on? It's going to be an amazing time. The youth team has been preparing this JTP crash. I saw some of you guys with the hoodies already, with the merch, sporting it. How many of you guys like the merch? They did a great job, and it's going to be an amazing, action-packed weekend. So doesn't matter what your age is, you should be here this weekend. Cancel whatever you got to cancel. It's going to be an amazing time. Come on, Pastor Ontario Green is coming from Dallas, Texas. I'm excited to see what God has laid in his heart to share with us. And I believe that this is something that we're just working for. This is just the beginning. We're laying down the foundation for this new season, just as Joanna was sharing with us. Um, we got just a few more weeks left in this place. How many of you guys are the type of people that love routine that you go to a restaurant and you always get the same plates and you always do the same thing right some people are very how many of you guys like to mix it up because you get tired of same routine and you're more adventurous and yeah okay well i guess that's what's happening with jtp church now right it's going to be an adventure we're sailing in a new adventure we don't know what's going to happen where we're going to go but it's going to be amazing and i think that sometimes god wants to keep us on our toes right we're control freaks sometimes we want to control everything and God sometimes wants us to trust him. And I believe that we're setting, like I said, we're setting the foundation, the groundwork for what is going to be an incredible new season. Amen? Amen? I believe that this is like a boost of energy, of anointing. And I'm just excited to see what God's going to do. Amen? I hope you are as well. So next week, we're also going to be celebrating after the conference. Conference ends Saturday night. Sunday, we're going to be celebrating our one-year anniversary. Come on, one year. JTP Church, time came and went so fast. It flew by. 52 weeks already, and the apostle's going to be sharing a message here. We got a few things prepared, and it's going to be amazing. Amen? So make sure you tell two or three people. Bring your family. Tell friends. It's going to be awesome. All right, I want to talk to you a little bit today about the fear of God. I'm sure you guys have heard that term. There's a lot of songs that have been written with respect to the fear of God. There's books that have been written, preachers that have preached about it, sermons that have been said. And I started doing a little bit of reading with respect to the fear of God. And the Bible talks so much about this. It has so many different definitions or ways to describe what the fear of God is. And if you got a paper and pencil or if you got your iPad or your iPhone and you want to take notes, I'm going to go really quickly just to give you a few of these. It's, it's like over 30 I'm not going to give you all 30, but just a few things just so that you could understand and grasp a little bit about what the fear of God is. So are you guys ready? You guys ready to dive in? Yeah. All right. Job 28 verse 28 is the first one. The Bible says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Everybody say the fear of the Lord, of the Lord. is wisdom. In Psalms 111 verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How many of you guys want to be wise? All right, awesome. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you can't consider or call yourself wise if you're not seeking 
the fear of the Lord, if you don't have the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, again, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So not only is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is also the beginning of knowledge. How many of you guys want to be knowledgeable? Not just knowledgeable of books, but knowledgeable about the times we're living knowledgeable about the things in heaven, about the kingdom of God, have revelation. That's what it's talking about here. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. Proverbs 14, 27, the verse right immediately after. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited by evil. If we go to 2 Chronicles 19.9, it's a story where Jehoshaphat commanded the Levites and the priests. He told them, thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. Everybody say faithfully and with a loyal heart. So one of the characteristics of having the fear of the Lord is that you are a loyal person. Amen? You have a loyal heart. You're faithful. And last but not least, Psalms 34. And this one I'm going to ask you to turn with me because we're going to read not just verse 9, but all the way down to 14. Psalms 34, 9 through 14, it says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. I'll touch the person that's close to you and tell him he's talking to you. It says, there is no want to those who fear him. How many of you guys want to go through life and say, there's nothing that I like. I got everything. Everything I can need. That's the key right there. There is no want to those who fear him. And it says, verse 10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger. I mean, lions are the king of the jungle, are they not? But even though they're the king and they rule the jungle, even the king of the jungle suffers hunger, right? And they suffer lack. But it says, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Notice the correlation there between fearing God and seeking God, right? First it says that those who fear him will have no want. And now it says those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Could you understand that? You're not going to lack any good thing. All the good things you're going to have. That doesn't excite you? Is that uh, enough to give God praise for that and thank him? You figure. No good thing will we lack. Every good thing we will have. Good marriages, good relationships. God knows the desires of our hearts. Whatever is good for you, whatever you consider good, the Bible says that we would not lack. How many say amen? Peace, amen. Favor of God, grace. All these things we will have. And then 11 the psalmist writes and he says, come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You see, King David was a teacher of what the fear of God is. He used to love to teach people about, look, this is, this is how I got to where I am today. You see, back in the days, I used to be somebody that was passed by for other people. And I used to take care of my father's sheep. But now I am the king of Israel. And all of this happened because I feared God. And he used to teach people. Verse 12 says, who is the man who desires life and loves many days? Anybody here loves life? How many of you guys want to live a long life? Desires days, right? Not an, a bad life. It says that he may see good. So a long life, but to see many good things happen during that time. Keep your tongue from evil 
and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. How many say amen to that? And now I want to go to the scripture that I'm going to base the rest of the service, our, our main scripture for the day. And it's going to be in Proverbs chapter number 8, verse 13. And this is the one we're going to focus on tonight. And you're going to notice that it's a parallel to what we just read in Psalms chapter 34. And the reason for it is because Psalms 34 was written by who? We just said it. Who wrote Psalms 34? King David. And Proverbs 8 was written by his son. Remember that David, we said that he liked to teach about the fear of God? Well, he obviously taught his children. And here we see the next generation, King Solomon writing about the same exact things. Proverbs 8.13. You guys there with me? It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I titled tonight's message, A Call to Hate. A Call to Hate. The Bible calls us to love. And sometimes when we speak about hate, usually we think about all those things that God tells us not to do. We think about God doesn't want us to hate our neighbor. God doesn't want us to hate anybody. He wants us to forgive. He wants us to be good. He wants us to bless those who curse us. He wants us to pray for those always battling against us. But in this case, God is calling us to hate evil. Everybody say, God is calling us to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And then it says pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Wow, a loving God hates. Did you know that God hates stuff? And we're going to talk a little bit about this, these four things that he mentions. And it starts by mentioning two things that are very similar, pride and arrogance. In psychology, there's something called authentic pride, and this is the normal pride. You know, when you do something good and you achieve something, you feel proud of yourself. That's something normal. It's good to feel proud of yourself. You shouldn't lack in self-esteem. You should have a healthy self-esteem. You should know who you are in Christ, and you should celebrate your successes, right? You should do all the things that, you know, that are healthy. This is authentic pride. It arises when we feel good about ourselves, when we're confident, when we're productive, when we're agreeable and emotionally stable. But then there's another type of pride that's called a hubristic pride. This is an excessive pride. You see, everything, when you take it off the perfect balance for which God created it, it could start problems in your life. So when you have excessive pride or you have no pride, that's a problem. God wants you straight in the middle. And the only thing that's going to keep you balanced, not just with respect to pride, but in everything that God teaches us in the Bible, is when you have a close relationship with God. He keeps us sane. He keeps us balanced. He keeps us right where we need to be to be all that he created us to be. How many say amen? But then when we don't have that balance and where we have excessive pride, this is what psychology knows as hubristic pride, and it tends to involve egotism, right? When you just think about yourself and, and, and arrogance and being disagreeable, aggressive, having low or brittle self-esteem and being prone to shame. So false pride is when you fail to recognize the one behind your success. When you fail to understand that if you got anywhere in life or if you have anything that you could boast about, it was because of God's grace over your life. And sometimes we achieve certain things in life or we get certain places or we do something that we're proud of us. Man, 
if you don't include God in that equation, if you don't take a moment to say, thank you, God, because I just scored this touchdown, or thank you, God, because I got my degree, I'm the first one in my family that was able to do this, or thank you, God, because I was able to open my business, and in the first year when most fail, God, it was prosperous. Thank you, God, because of this thing. If you fail, you know what? You're working on that excessive pride, and it's starting to grow to unhealthy levels. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So if you have excessive pride, be careful because the next stop could be destruction. It could be your demise. When we achieve something or probably start making good money, immediately thoughts of pride or vanity come our way. But think of this. Think of trees. When a tree is already mature and a tree is ripe and it's filled of ripe fruits, what does the tree do? The tree bows. It bends towards people. And if we understand that concept and if we apply it to our lives, if every time God blesses you and gives you fruits, instead of you standing erect and thinking you're, you know, all that, you understand that it's to bless other people and, and you bow down thanking God, understanding that it was God that gave you that, you're going to start to understand this principle of humility. And the Bible says that God, he rejects those who exalt themselves, but those who humble themselves, God lifts up. Amen? He exalts. So it's so important that in that sense, we imitate trees, right? Man, if you've been fruitful in whatever area of your life, give God thanks. And you know what? Make others participate of that fruit because God blessed you to be a blessing. If God blessed you and gave you talents in, in music, you know, share that with other people. Teach other people how to be a musician like you are. Teach other people how to do what God gave you grace to do. Don't keep it to yourselves. Amen? What do trees do? They bear fruits, but to give to us. And how many of you guys enjoy fruits? Amen? Proverbs 22 verse 4 says, By humility... And the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. How many of you guys want those three things to follow you all the days of your life? Listen, sometimes we think that it's too spiritual to talk about being blessed monetarily in church. But this is word of God. How many of you believe this? It says, by humility, if, if I have a humble attitude, if I am generous, if I'm a giver, if I'm like a tree that... I'm not just standing erect and just enjoying everything God gave me, but I am being a blessing to other people as well. If I'm humble and the fear of the Lord is inside of me, then you know what? Inevitably, no matter what the devil wants to do, these three things are going to follow you. Everybody say riches, honor, and life. You take away one of those out of that equation. Let me tell you, life with honor but without riches is not the same thing as if you have riches. Am I right? Because we need money. I mean, we know that the Bible says that we shouldn't love money because the love of money is the root of all evil. But come on, can somebody say amen that money helps? We need money. And with money, man, if God lifts up entrepreneurs here, and I'm believing that he is, I see all of you guys as business owners. God lifts up entrepreneurs. Man, we have more money. You could be blessed. You could be more of a blessing to other people and other missions, and our church could grow, and we could reach more people. Why not? Why not? So by humility of the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. You take away honor and you just have riches and life, but people don't honor you. Not the same thing. 
You have riches and honor, but you don't have life. You go away before your time. Not too good. But the Bible says that when you have humility and the fear of the Lord, then riches and honor and life will follow you. Come on, put your arms around somebody that's close to you and tell them, God destined for you to have all these three things. But we got to work on the fear of God and being humble. Really quick. Six signs pride is probably weaseling its way in your life. Because pride sometimes is very subtle. How do we know when pride is going from a normal and healthy and balanced pride into an excessive pride? I wrote down a few things here. Number one, and don't touch your neighbor if you know he's struggling with this. Keep it to yourself. Number one, you find it difficult to admit your mistakes. You find it difficult to admit your mistakes. Number two, you find it difficult to say sorry even when you know you're wrong. Number three, you refuse to back off an argument even if you know that you lost. You still battle. Number four, you always compare. Five, you're afraid to ask questions because it makes you look weak and unknowledgeable. And you don't want to show people that you don't know all things. You want to make people think that you know all things. Even CEOs need to ask questions to people that work for them that know more than what they do in a particular subject. They need accountants, CEOs. They could be on top, you know, of the totem pole in their corporations, but they need to consult accountants. They need to consult finance people. They need to consult project managers. So they don't have all the answers, and to ask answers is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign that, you know what, you're not excessively prideful. And number six, you're afraid to say, I don't know. Let me ask you today, is your ego running the show? Is your ego running your life? Because if it is, God said, and we just finished reading in Proverbs, that he hates pride, he hates arrogance, but he loves people with a humble heart. He loves people that come with him, and sometimes you say, God, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Sometimes we try to solve our own problems, and we don't go to God. We think that God is for just major things, or we think that God is... You know, only if they, the doctor tells us that we have cancer and it's incurable. So, but you know what? God wants to be involved in every single detail of your life. Yeah. What you're going through right now that you were thinking about during, while I was speaking and that's not letting you concentrate on the sermon about that, God wants you to trust him and take it. Instead of thinking about it during the service, take it to him in prayer right before you go to bed or when you wake up in the morning and say, God, show me how to be able to trust you in this situation. And maybe it's something simple. Maybe it's not something drastic that you need the, the supernatural power of God, but it's something that's out of your control and you don't know how to handle, like raising a child that starts being rebellious or, or something that has to do with your work and you don't know what to do, what decision to make. Man, go to God because when you go to God, even for simple things, it shows humility. It shows that you are dependent. Whereas when you don't go to God, it's like you have it all figured out and you know it all. The good thing is that if you relate it to one of these six things that I shared with you, there's hope to be able to overcome excessive pride. You can overcome it. And this is not too difficult. Number one, the best way to overcome excessive pride is focus on generosity. Focus on being generous. Because generosity leads you to give. 
right? And by nature, when we're prideful, when we're arrogant, we just want to get and keep, and it's mine. So focus on generosity. Khalil Gibran, he's an American Lebanese poet, he said, generosity is giving more than you can, and pride is taking less than you need. Pride is taking less than you need. I got it. I don't need from you. No, yes, you do. You need from God. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, I need you. We think that we got it all going on, that we don't need anything from anybody. That's not true. Pride is taking less than you need. It's saying, look, I, I don't need from you. I, I got it. I got it on my own. I don't, I don't need God. Pride. I don't need you. I don't need you to help me. I could do it on my own. So generosity. Number two, practice loving unconditionally. Practice loving people. I think this is the best way of overcoming pride and arrogance. Practice loving people that are difficult to love. Unconditionally. <laughs> and by doing so, you know, you're abiding by one of God's commandments. So two for one. Loving people unconditionally. Loving people that probably don't smile at you. Loving people that give you dirty looks. Loving people that don't say hi to you. Loving people, right? Loving people unconditionally. Number three, be compassionate and kind to all. Compassionate and kind to all. Encourage unity and embrace differences. Be in the present, content in the moment. You could have dreams. You could have plans. But don't let that steal you of your present. Because otherwise you're going to live all life, your entire life, chasing after something. And you're going to get to be 80 years old and you're never, it's just like the racetracks. You know how sometimes there's like a bunny or something that they, and the horses are chasing after and they never get to it. Or like in the cartoons, right, that they, they're riding like a horse and they have like a fishing rod and the horse is trying to catch and he's never going to get there. And that's how, it's funny, but that's how sometimes we live life. And we're always saying, man, when I get married, then I'll be happy. When I, when I reach this, then I'll do. And, and you're always, and, and you're basing your happiness and, and who you are on all these accomplishments. And God wants you to be in the present and be content in the moment. Doesn't mean you have to settle. Doesn't mean you can't have plans or, or dreams or believe God for better. But be content. Enjoy your today. How many say amen? Look at the person next to you. Do they have a face like they're enjoying today? Or are they living for tomorrow? <laughs> be in the present, content in the moment. And last but not least, focus on courage instead of fear. Because sometimes excessive pride at its root, it comes from fear. It comes from low self-esteem. It comes from maybe people that have marked you with their words, with their sayings. But, you know, if you focus on courage, if you focus on the word of God, if you start seeking God in the secret place, you're going to start to know wisdom and knowledge, which is the beginning of the fear of God, and God's going to take you to great places. How many say amen? amen? Let me talk to you a little bit about the second thing that God hates. Today's message is titled, A Call for Hate. He hates arrogance. He hates pride. And the Bible says he also hates, and we don't talk a lot about this in church, or at least I haven't heard a message of this in a long time, a perverse mouth. Perverse mouth. What does he mean, or what does... King Solomon, what did he mean when he wrote about this? Proverbs 4.24, the Bible says, Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. He's giving us advice. Be careful what you speak. 
Perverse speech occurs when we use the gift of speech. Everybody say, my speech is a gift. You could use it for good or you could use it for bad. Just like a knife. A chef could use a knife and do incredible things and cut up and work a masterpiece of, a, of an entree, right? But a murderer could also use a knife for evil. So how do you use your words? How do you use your mouth? Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Perverse speech occurs when we use the gift of speech for evil purposes, such as cursing, gossiping, coarse joking, and lying. I realize that most of us come to Christ with a way of speech sometimes that is not to all godly. How many of you guys had dirty mouths before you came to Christ? Let's be honest. I know we've been changed. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But before, we had a bad mouth, right? I was, I was blessed that I grew up in the church, so I never was somebody that I had to deal with. But let me ask you, since I, it wasn't something that I related with, was it difficult for you guys to change your vocabulary? Yeah, it was difficult. Man, we had some bad mouths here in JTP. Those, there were more hands going up than how many love Jesus. <laughs> so look, deceitful mouth. Let's talk about some of these things briefly. Cursing. What does that mean? Well, F-bombs, S-bombs, all kind of cursing needs to go because there's a better way. You see, God didn't create your mouth for dirty words. Gossiping. What's gossip? Gossip is talk or rumors of the personal or private affairs of others. I know that there's nobody here that gossips. Not in JTP Church. Not in JTP Church. But gossip is very destructive. James 1.26 says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourselves and your religion is worthless. Whew. How about that? If you, I'm going to read it again. If you claim to be religious, if you come to church on Sunday nights and you come and you lift up your hands and you sing all the songs, but you don't control your tongue. And it's not just talking about cursing because sometimes we listen and we hear deceitful words or deceitful mouth. But we think it's just certain things. But gossip, when you start talking to somebody else, about another person's personal affair, that's gossip. And God hates that. The Bible said it in, in Proverbs. We just finished reading it. He hates it. And it says that when we do that, we, when we don't control our tongue, we are fooling ourselves. And all the things you do for God, it's for waste. You could bring your tithes for waste. You could play. You could worship God. You could pray. God doesn't listen to your prayers. And you're like, what? This, something's not working here. And you don't realize that it's your mouth that's keeping you from receiving everything that God had for your life. How many say amen? So before you start pointing fingers and telling God, God, where are you that you're not abiding by your word? You should check yourself and say, how, how are my lips being used? Do I use my lips to edify people, to bless people, to lift people up? And you know what? Gossiping is not just limited to the people who speak, but also to those who lend their ear. When you lend your ear and you don't stop that person in their tracks and say, you know what, don't talk bad about me or anybody else. If you want to talk about somebody, bring that person here and say it in their face and, and I'll be there in person. We'll bring them over here if you have something to say, but don't, don't poison my ear. Once you start lending your ear, you become an accomplice. Lying. 
not telling the truth to save yourself or, or manipulating the truth. You know, some of us, we label and categorize lies. We have black lies and we have white lies. We have small lies and we have big lies. But it's all a lie. God doesn't want us to lie. Lying isn't just saying something that is false or manipulating the truth. Listen, when you tell yourself something that is not in agreement with what God says, you're calling God a liar. When God looks at you and in his word, he says, you are more than a conqueror. I created you to do mighty things. And then you look in the mirror and you say, I'm not good for anything. You're calling God a liar. So God, God wants us to not lie. God wants us to be truthful in everything. And sometimes saying the truth has consequences. Sometimes we come to Christ and we're so used to cheating on our taxes for so long. And it's like a part of life. It's like, God, it's not a lie. Everybody does it. Come on. Everybody cheats the IRS. Who told you that lie? That's not true. And if the whole world does it, and like Job, you're the only person that seeks God and that loves God, don't do it. Because I'd rather stay with God's blessing. I'd rather stay with all the consequences that we just read about the fear of God. Hold on. Let me, let me remind you. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord prolongs my days. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. There is no one to those who fear him. Do you want that? I want it for my life. But God says, look, if you're going to have that, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. You know when you start seeing the heavens open in your life? You know when fear of the Lord is evident in your life is when you start loving everything that God loves and hating all the things that God hates. Fear of God is this awe of God's greatness and, and how undeserved grace I've received from God, which leads me to this this whole awe about God and say, God, if you wouldn't have done this for me, if you wouldn't have sent your son Jesus Christ for me, where would I be? I'd be dead. I wouldn't have eternal life. I'd be, I wouldn't have any hope. But because you did this, I have so much that I owe to you. And nothing that I do could repay everything that you've done. But God, I, I just, I just want to do everything. I want to know about you. What, what, what hurts you? What, what do you love so I could follow after you? What is it that you hate? And you read Proverbs 8.13 and you see that God hates pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth. God, help me because I want to do everything that I can in my power to be able to be a person that fears you, that obeys you, that walks in your righteousness. Because if I do that, all these things are going to follow. Wisdom, knowledge, prolonged days. How many say amen? amen. Praise God. So cursing, gossiping. We need to cut this off. Lying. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. There are no exceptions. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. There's a part in the Bible where it says, you can get angry, but don't sin. But getting angry doesn't mean that you have to say a whole bunch of F's and F-bombs and curse and put the person that you have an argument or a disagreement with, put them down. It says, get angry because it's a natural emotion, but make sure you don't, get, you don't go far enough as to sin. 
So God is telling us, look, let no corrupt word under no circumstance proceed out of your mouth. What did God create your mouth for? For what is good, for the necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. So here's a test you should run every time you're confronted or you're conflicted or you're thinking about whether you should tell that person off or not. Is that going to impart grace to this person? If the answer is no, keep your mouth shut. Don't say it. Turn around and go on your way. Because if you open your mouth, you're going to get yourself in trouble. How many of us have said things that we regret, that we really didn't feel, and we've hurt, ended up hurting people? You know how many people are hurt nowadays? You know how many people are broken down when we do the retreats and we do the, uh, the crash courses? You know how many people have been hurt by words? You know that old little saying that we used to say, sticks, stick and, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me? Bull. That's not the case. You know that's not true. Your bones will heal and your bruises will heal. But words penetrate. And just the other day, I was counseling um, a couple and a grown man, 50-something, 60 years old, close to my dad's age, just broke down and started crying about something that was said to him and something they did to him when he was seven years old. It's like an open wound. If you don't close an open wound, it's gonna, you're going to bleed to death. And sometimes words are that. But you could put as much close over your wounds, that's not going to make it close. You need to seal it. You need to stitch it up. And the only one that could do that is when you take it to Christ and say, look, God, I've been, throughout my life, I've been hurt by people that have said this to me. But you know what, God, I, I forgive them. I turn this over to you. And only the power of Jesus Christ can heal that. How many say amen? So powerful what our words can do to people for good or for bad. But if we're people of God, God tells us what our mouth was made for. What is good for necessary edification. Turn around and look at the person next to you. And why don't you practice this and edify that person. Find something good about that person, whether it be how they smell or I don't know, their, what they're wearing, their eyes, their pretty eyes. Find something good. I'm sure you will. And edify that person. You know, sometimes it's so much harder to bless somebody and say something nice. And it feels that it's like natural that when you see a fly, you point it out. But God says that if we're like him, if we're going to be more like Jesus, we got to be people that always find good things to say. Hey, encourage people. Encourage those who are in ministry. You got to encourage each other. If somebody does something good, encourage them. Tell them you did a good job. Sometimes we take that for granted. And, and we have sometimes even people in ministry that they do things and they don't feel appreciated. And it's, it's our job to always encourage people and tell them, you're doing a good job, man. You're doing great. How many say amen? amen. That it may impart grace to the hearers. And when people hear them say, wow, somebody noticed me or somebody's encouraging me, it, it gives people encouragement and strength. So tell the person next to you, watch your mouth. Watch what you say and how you say it. Just because something comes in here doesn't mean it has to come out here. Because sometimes there's people that they say, oh, I don't have a filter. <laughs> God didn't create a filter in me. Whatever comes in here goes, no, you could discipline how you speak. If you pay attention to what you're saying and what you're thinking, and if you ask God to help you be a blessing to other people through the words that come out of your mouth. Look what Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 says. Let your speech 
always, underline that word, that's the key right there. As Christians, we try to find exceptions for the rule. But it says that our speech should always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Another translation says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer to each person. Those that know Christ, those that don't. Those that love you back, those that hate you back. Season with salt. How many of you guys have recently had something to eat and it needed salt? It was not good. It was bland. Raise your hand. Recently. Yeah? Did you put some salt on it? Sometimes you don't realize what salt does until you need salt. Am I right? You're enjoying a big juicy steak and it's perfectly seasoned and you're enjoying it. You're not thinking about, oh, it's so salty, the salt. No, you're just enjoying the steak. But when it's bland, you're like, oh my gosh, this needs salt. Well, God says that make sure that every time you say a word, every time it's seasoned with salt, that the person could receive it and say, wow, this was truly tasty. This was, this was something that I appreciate. If not, keep your mouth closed. We are all called to hate pride, arrogance, the evil way, and a nasty mouth. What are we called to? Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 8. This was the, the main scripture of tonight. We read 13. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Let's go to 14 now. Verse 14, and we're going to read all the way through 17. <clears throat> the Bible says, counsel is mine. God is speaking here. King Solomon who wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. I want to pause tonight just to ask you, why wouldn't we have a relationship with God? I mean, what excuse can we give to not want to have a relationship with God? If he is the author of all these things, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. God is wisdom. He said here, I am understanding. I just asked a few minutes ago, how many of you guys want understanding and knowledge and revelation from God and all of you guys, or most of you guys, raised your hands. And, well, what is that? What is understanding? It's revelation. And how do you get it when you connect with God? You can't fear God if you don't know God. So talking about the fear of God, how, how, can, we, how can we have this fear of God that gives us prolonged days, that gives us wisdom, understanding, knowledge, refuge, victory? How do we get this? It starts by getting to know God. You got to... You got to know God to be able to start understanding how to fear him. The more you know him, the more in awe you will be of him. The more you know him, the more your heart will break when you fail him. That is fear of God. Fear of God is, you know, when you mess up because let's be honest, we all make mistakes. We're not perfect. We're on the way, our, we're on the way to perfection. We're on the path to perfection. But along the way, sometimes we mess up. But how, how much does it hurt you when you fail God? Is this something you just brush off and like nothing and you just continue going? Or does it break your heart? Break my heart for what breaks yours, we sing. Break my heart. And God, 
God just, we just finished reading in Proverbs 8 that the things that he hates, perverse mouth when we lie and when we, and when we realize that, man, we, I just told a lie. I just did my taxes and I lied or I just did this and I, and I lied to this person or I did just to cover up and, and the Holy Spirit inside of you because you are son of God starts tugging at your heart and says, look, man, you just made a boo-boo. You just, that was, that was wrong. So does that break your heart or you're like, no big deal. Just another day. Or does it break your heart and say, God, I'm in awe of you. You've done so much good to me. I want to walk in righteousness. And I think that that's the way every single one of us should deal with sin. When we do fall, man, let it break your heart and say, man, how can I do this to God? Imagine somebody has done so much good to you, blessed you, saved, saved your life in front of a train that was about to take away your life and he pushes you and sets you man you're eternally grateful for that person he just saved you saved your life you're not going to do anything wrong to that person on the contrary you're going to try to you know bless that person or you're going to try to do anything to repay because what he's given you is way too much well what about god imagine god with everything he's done break our heart for what breaks yours the more you know him the more you will love god and hate evil I want to tell you, JTP Church, tonight, if you need wisdom tonight, godly wisdom, if there's decisions that you need to make, if there's uh, an unclear path to your future and you, you don't know which way to take, He is wisdom. If you need counsel, counsel is His, says the Word of God. If you need understanding, He is understanding. If you need strength, He has strength. By him, kings, princes, and nobles reign and rule. God can just give you one order or give an order and you go from being in jail to being vice president in just 10 minutes. God did it for Joseph. I mean, God could just flip the script on your life, on what you're going through in just a matter, in just a snap of a finger if you just knew him. And you're going to doubt that he can give you a promotion and you're going to doubt that he can open doors for you? How many have faith that God is for you? Come on, raise your hand. We're all them confident people in this house. Or is it perhaps that maybe you just don't know him as well as you should? And that's why sometimes it's hard for us to believe in faith and see things that we can't see with our own eyes and say, well, could God really do this for me? Can God really do what he did for her or him? Can he do that in my life? Can he heal me like he healed her? Can he open and prosper me like he prospered him? Can he do that? And, and sometimes it's not God that's getting in the way. It's your lack of faith. And your lack of faith comes because you don't fear God. And you don't fear God because you don't know him. But when you get to know God, all of this starts revealing, right? And you start understanding how much God loves you. Don't let your ignorance of God keep you from the very purpose that he created you for. Don't let your ignorance of God keep you settling for crumbs when the banquet was prepared for you. Just getting the leftovers. When God says, hey, sit at the table. I made this for you. You're the rightful owner of this chair. Sit down, pig out. I've created, you're my son. What are you doing down there under the table? Picking up crumbs. And what follows, I want to finish off saying this because we're talking about the fear of God. When you have the fear of God in your heart, 
what follows is just amazing. I want to, I want you to go with me to read these last three verses or four verses. Proverbs 3, now we're going to jump to 18. I love this. God is such an abundant God. How many say amen? You really believe that? Can you, can you overcome the limitations that sometimes your humanity tries to instill on on you and start believing God for greater things that you can ever imagine or that you've ever imagined. Look what it says here. I'm sorry. It's Proverbs 8, verse 18. That was my fault. Proverbs 8, verse 18, all the way through 21. There we go. After he says all these things that he hates, he hates, you know, the perverse mouth, pride, arrogance, evil. God starts saying this, riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. Let's, let's pause it right there. Go back. Riches and honor are with me. You see, the reason why you like money and the reason why we want to have more money is because they belong to our Father. There's nothing wrong with you having money as long as you don't let money be your God and control you, right? And now you don't have time to serve God and now your priorities are totally out of whack. But God says, riches and honor are with me and not just temporary riches. Because here's the thing. The devil also gives riches to some people. Some people, you've heard the terms, you know, they sell their soul to the devil. But the thing about the enemy is that they're not enduring riches, temporary riches. But God says, enduring riches and righteousness. And verse 19 continues on and says, my fruit is better than gold. Come on, somebody say what God gives me is better than gold, the finest gold. And, and my revenue, God's pay, is better than choice silver. Everything God gives you when you go into a secret place and you understand the fear of God and you start fearing God and respecting God and all these things start attracting all these things, the fruit of God. Those who seek them will find them, right? And it continues saying, verse 20, I traverse the way of the righteousness. In other words, God, God goes before us and he creates and establishes a path, right, of righteousness. This is a path of, of righteousness and also a path of justice. And then verse 21 says, once God prepares it for you, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth. You guys are reading this with me? All right. It's talking about wealth, to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. How many can give God? Come on, stand on your feet. Give God praise. Shout. Do something. This is too good to stay quiet. So I, I picture it like this. God creates a path. He says, guys, follow me. This is the way. This is the way. If we don't take time to hear God and to, to speak to God and to listen to his voice, you know what? It's like we have a blindfold and we're going all over the place. And we're trying to find the path. We're trying to find the path to, to, to wealth. We're trying to find the path to peace of mind. We're trying to have find the path to all these things that we need when God says hey I already traversed that path I already prepared the path of righteousness the path of justice walk according to me follow me and you will inherit wealth and I'm gonna fill all your treasuries come on can somebody shout tonight in JTP church praise God riches and honor are with God enduring riches he may cause those who love him to inherit wealth. You see, this is how I see the Bible. The Bible is a treasure map. How many of you guys, when you were young, used to fantasize about a 
treasure map, right? And going to that place where the X is marked and just digging up and finding a huge treasure. The Bible connects you to the author who wrote the map. And it will lead you to treasure. But the only difference is that the true treasure is not the wealth that he's going to bring for you. The true treasure is knowing the author. He is the real treasure. Jesus is our treasure. I want to finish off by saying, by sharing one last verse about the fear of God. Proverbs 23, verse 17, last verse, promise. It says, do not let your heart envy sinners. How many of us have grown up here in the church or grown up in the house of God and sometimes we see other people prosper that they're up to no good. You know, they're shady and they're doing all these messed up things and you're like, how come they prosper and they have all these things, these nice cars, these nice houses and, and I'm here, Pope, broke. But look what God says. He says, do not let your heart envy sinners. Don't ever, don't ever envy sinners. But this is what we should do. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord all that day. What is zealous? Zealous is marked by fervent and passion, partisanship for a person, a cause, or an ideal. So there should be passion in our hearts. There should be something fervent in our hearts. For what? For the fear of God. Whatever they're doing may be shady. You know what? The day of tomorrow, since the devil always gives, could give riches, but they're not enduring like God gives. They're going to come to their demise. I have a testimony of that. I remember, and I'll close with this. I remember we were in, we were living in Miami Lakes when I was still single with my parents. And my dad, every time we would pass by this house on the way to our house, they were building this huge house. And my dad was like, wow, what a beautiful house. And every time we would pass by, we would look at it. And my dad says, you know what? I'd like to have a house like that one day. And huge columns. They had these huge glass, like the whole front of the house was glass and it was beautiful and it had electronic shutters so you didn't even have to put the shutters on or you just, psst, that's it, right? Super convenient. Considering how big the, right, all the windows were. And he said, man, I'd like to have a house like that one day. I'd like to be able to own a house like that. And he started declaring and he started, we already had a house and it was a nice house. He didn't need it. But it was a desire in his heart. And my parents serving God. You guys know his life story. 32 years in ministry. And God sometimes listens. That's why you, you got to always dream and say things. Because God is traversing a path that's going to bring wealth. And he's going to fill your treasuries. You have to understand that. So don't cut God short of what he wants to give you. So he started saying that. And one day my dad was preaching in, in Venezuela. He was out in a conference. And my mom and I, we were going somewhere. And we passed by the house like always. And we saw a big sign on the door that said uh, that it was foreclosed. And we went, we found out there was a number we called and the sheriff, the sheriff of uh, town of Miami Lakes was having not an auction. They were selling off the property. It wasn't an auction, but they were selling off the property. So my mom calls my dad and he says, look, you remember that house that you like, that you declared? Well, it's going to, you know, the sheriff is trying to sell it. And they have an appointment tomorrow to go and see it. My dad wasn't coming back for, like for another four days. So he says, you know what? Go. Go with Jonathan and check the house out. Scope it out. We went. There was a bunch of people. It must have been like 40 people in the house. We went over, went through all the rooms upstairs. Beautiful house. Nice pool in the back. And we came back. And then uh, when my dad got back, 
he made an offer. The house probably was worth half a million dollars, $500,000. And my dad was able to, to make the long story short, my dad was able to buy it for three thirty-five, dollars financed through a bank and everything. And we moved. We eventually moved. We sold the house that we were and just, just selling that house that my dad had bought that one also for three thirty. dollars He sold it for eight hundred and eighty. dollars So he made half a million dollars there. And then we moved to where my parents are living now. He sold the one that he bought there and he made another half a million dollars there without doing anything, without doing anything, just the grace of God. So you see, when you're serving God, when you're serving God, God, in the meantime, he's filling up your treasuries. He's giving you wealth. He's opening the doors. You know what I mean? What we have to make sure that we're doing is that we're seeking God in the secret place, that we're going after the fear of God with a zealous attitude. Amen. And we said that zealous is passion, is fervent. I want to do a calling today. Every eye closed. If you want, you can bow your heads. You don't have to. But what I do want to ask is, I want to do a calling today for those people today that say, well, God ministered to my heart. And I want to start on a journey now, starting this third month of this year, I want to start on a journey where I'm going to watch what I say because sometimes my mouth gets me in trouble and I cancel everything that God says on me. And God's trying to push you forward, but you don't realize that with your mouth, you're pushing yourself back. Or maybe, maybe it's that your pride and your arrogance is getting to levels where they're starting to become dangerous because now it's not just a, a pride that you're secure in who you are. Now it's getting dangerous because you're exalting yourself instead of bending over like the tree example that we give, bearing fruits to bless other people. Now that God lifted you up and you started seeing some success, you started seeing God bless you, now you think you're all that? And you don't realize that it was God that promoted you? And, and you don't realize that God has so much more for you, but if you continue letting pride and arrogance grow in your heart, you can cancel out all the things that God has in store for you in the future. So I want to open up the the altar now we're going to worship God and if God ministered to your heart and if you want to come and lay whatever you have to lay down to the altar you're not coming before Jonathan Aguero I need to be here in the altar as well I have things that I have to surrender to God but if God ministered to your heart don't stay there because humility always makes you a person that says well I, I need of God pride and arrogance says I don't need to go for it that's not for me. I'm good how I am. But humility is like, wow, I need to seek God more. I need to follow after the fear of the Lord. I need to be more fervent and more zealous about the things of God. Worship to you.